welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for single women considering solo motherhood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo motherhood coach and solo mum to a three-year-old daughter. For series four of the podcast, I talk to a variety of professionals about specific topics relevant to solo parenthood where they have an expertise. In today's episode, I chat to Ruth, who's a single parent to two children who are seven and three. Her eldest is from a previous relationship and her youngest is from donor conception. Ruth founded Single Parent Rights as she wants to raise awareness of the realities of single parenting and some of the discrimination single parents face. Ruth, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, you're very welcome. We are going to be talking today all about single parents' rights and the work that you do in this area. Um, But before we start doing that, it would be lovely if you could just give yourself a quick introduction. Yeah, sure. So I'm Ruth and um, I blog on Elemental Mama and I'm on Instagram um, talking about single parenting, basically. Just the realities. I think I started that I became a single parent first around seven years ago um, when my marriage broke down and I had a little um, six, seven month old baby and I've gone on to have a second child by a donor conception. So I've got a seven year old and a three year old now. Yeah, and I just feel that there's not that much understanding about single parenting, about the different routes into it and what that can involve and also around the discrimination that single parents face. So, yeah, I talk a lot about that. Brilliant. And I think it's it's a really interesting situation that you're in because I think it's a situation more and more people are finding themselves in. So I know a lot of people contact me saying, I've got one child from a relationship that I'm no longer in, but I want another child. I'm considering donor conception, but I don't mm. know. So how did you make that decision? Was it an easy decision for you to make? Yeah, so I think when I first separated... Obviously, there's a lot of emotions going on. I was getting divorced. But one of the big emotions I actually felt was hope. Hope that I could meet someone where it could be a good relationship and we'd go on to have children together. My first son was still a baby, so I sort of thought, you know, he'd kind of get adopted in and by any new partner, I mean. Um, So I was quite hopeful, actually, and I started dating and things. And it wasn't working out. And I'd actually always wanted four children. Oh, wow. (laughs) Before I had any. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it wasn't really happening. And then I started to just, I don't really know where the idea came from. Because even though it wasn't that long ago, there was a lot less talk about it than there is now. It's completely bloomed in the last two, three years, I'd say. Yeah, so I just started to think, well, actually, I could just go it alone. And what I couldn't decide was it was like a crystal ball. But what if I was to meet the perfect man in a month, three months, six months time? But what if I don't? So it was kind of like an impossible decision because obviously you don't know what's going to happen. So the way I took it then was, okay, well, I'll just put a time limit on it. If I haven't met someone by X date, which was the end of that year that we were in, I'll go it alone. I was in a bit of a relationship just towards the end of that year and then it, it fizzled out. And ended and um yeah so it was kind of like I'd made the decision yeah, and it yeah. made it a lot easier because then I lived with the decision for a long time so I guess I'd made that decision quite early in that year so then it was kind of like this safety net it made me feel more content and 
certain that things would work out okay because either way I'd have a child I mean obviously there's the issue of whether fertility treatment works but yeah. I was just kind of going on the assumption that it would work so yeah literally as soon as the end of the year hit I started googling how on earth you do these things right. clinic appointments and searching um, donor banks and how do you speak to your children about it? Because obviously their two circumstances are different. Is that easy to discuss with them? Have you had those conversations? Yeah. So I, we probably don't talk about it as much as we should. I think when I was trying to get pregnant, I did tell my eldest in a sort of general roundabout way about having a baby through donor conception. But I didn't announce to him that I was a pregnant until like after the 12 week. And then I talked a lot about how the baby had been made and he understood the difference. He understood that it wasn't the same way he'd been made. We talked about how he was made. Um, so a lot of the talking went on before I had the baby to my eldest. And then once the baby came along, you know, obviously the elder one asked more questions again. But then I think we didn't talk about it much for a while because obviously the young one isn't ver wasn't verbal or anything yeah and then I did start talking about it with him probably when he was some point over one or something and he does seem to understand it and I mean to the extent a three-year-old can yeah um, he does quite often ask how was I made how were you made how was so-and-so made so I give those in in very clear scientific facts, but very yeah. basic. Yeah, it is, it is difficult to be honest because he has said to me, oh, I want a daddy, my younger one. I want a daddy, where's my daddy, um, get me a daddy. And, it, and of course it's hard to hear, but also in a way, because I've got my eldest and things haven't worked out well with his dad, despite doing the, traditional route that you're supposed to do getting married and all that he rarely sees his dad it was exactly the same age around three that he started saying things like where's daddy and upset that he didn't see his daddy much and so I kind of and I thought that was all because well he'd known his daddy was around and his daddy wasn't around as much and things like that but now I see it more in the light of it's a developmental stage yeah. They're allocating people to you fit in the daddy box, you fit in the mummy box, you fit in the girl boy box, all these things. And so I think when kids say something like that, if we're holding a kind of feeling of guilt that we haven't given our child what we, in inverted commas, should have given them, a second parent, not necessarily a father, but... Um, then we can feel all sorts of emotions from that. But I think if we take our emotions out of it, it often isn't as much of a thing for them. I'm not saying that it might not be a big issue for him, but I think it's all about processing it. And I think having experienced, you know, a sort of breakdown and, and not a good co-parenting relationship with my eldest father, I can see that these things can happen anyway. So I don't, you know, I probably feel more guilt towards my eldest's situation than, than my youngest. It was all done with love and no one's let him down or, or anything like that. It's just a different situation that 
I need to support him to process so he understands his family setup. Yeah, it would almost be harder in, 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 in a way if your first son had a brilliant close relationship because then there would be almost like a direct comparison and you could understand yeah. why then. But so I suppose in some ways that situation is, isn't as hard for your younger son then because there's not that comparison. Yeah, yeah, he's not going off for weekends with his dad or something and the little yeah. one being left behind. Yeah. But I would also say, because lots of people do contact me who are in that situation, I would also say that I don't think that's a reason to not do it either. I think it's Agreed. always about supporting the child to process it. I've done so much reading and learning around it all yeah. with my eldest. But it's, it's all about processing it. You can't change their story and there'll be pros and cons of all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah I think it's I, I totally agree and I think what you said is is so true and this is what I always say to all my coaching clients it's about how you share the story so if you have shame or embarrassment or you're not confident with some of it that sort of somehow seeps through a little bit whereas if you're really confident you own it it's factual um, I do think that does help the children get that element of the story straight for themselves as well definitely definitely um so so yeah so the tips that i give people is to work through what is it that you're still worried about or you're lacking confidence in and try to solve that so that that doesn't come across to your children at all which it sounds like you um you know you're really confident talking to them which i think makes a massive difference and so what advice do you give to people who are in that situation that say that they are considering having a second child that's donor conceived after having a first child? Is there any tips that you would give people? I think it's just about being really open and honest with kids. I think that's the same with whatever their background story is, whether there's divorce, whether there's a dad who's disappeared off the scene or whether you're donor conceived, adopted, it's all about being super, super honest in an appropriate way. Never attaching, like you say, blame or negative connotations to any of those situations and just explaining it often over and over and over again, really basic wording so they can process it. Um, things like writing their story. I know you can buy books called My Story that are about donor conception, but also just doing your own homemade one with pictures and this was mummy going to the hospital to have you inseminated or to have the embryo, whatever the system you use. Um, and then this is us at the hospital or this is the information we have on your donor and just being really, really honest. And I think when they are upset, not saying it's okay and shushing them mm. but more just letting it out you know like if they feel something isn't fair if they feel it isn't fair that they're not going to a daddy at the weekend letting that feeling out and then turning it around and being like right what can we do that's going to be really great this weekend mm. you know you we would probably instantly worry that the the second child is going to feel left out if they're not going to a daddy at the weekend but actually it's just as likely that the child going to the other parents home might feel left out so I think when you look at it objectively like that you can realize actually again it's about our own insecurities not necessarily our children's and yeah it's just about 
talking about it and making sure it is a positive experience but when they feel it's not a positive experience allowing that to come out in it's whatever so way they let it out yeah it's so true and I think that um I really love what you said about making your own book because I think that can then fit any situation you know your unique story can yeah. be told with your own book and um what I focus on I also made my own book is who is in your life so rather yeah. than focusing on anyone who they might feel is missing yeah. focusing on who is there and who they have got around them I think is quite powerful as well yeah definitely and obviously if you're a family blended with a child that does have a second parent and one who doesn't then you can write that story really clearly with all of every scenario yeah Yeah. exactly no it's so good so a lot of my listeners their dream if you like would be to have the fairy tale I mean Mm. I suppose it's everyone's dream (laughs) Um, (laughs) and and the fairy tale I think we grew up with is to meet a partner get married have children and I didn't almost like realize how deeply embedded that was in society because it's everywhere it's in the films we watch the books we read it's in the media I always refer to like the way the media talk about like a Kylie Minogue or a Jennifer Aniston, it's never how amazing, successful women they are. It's about the fact that they haven't got children or they didn't meet their, or the relationship broke down. Like it's, there's always a focus on the failure of not being in this image that society is painting as the right one. Now you've, I suppose, experienced both. So you've experienced doing it in, with, with a partner and you've experienced doing it on your own. And, and I'm guessing you're not you're going to tell me that it wasn't the fairy tale um, <laughs> exactly. because you're not still in it. But what are some of the the differences? Is there what's your experience of having both of those different situations and sort of your learnings from it? Yeah, I think it's exactly that, isn't it? It's it's often not really a fairy tale. I'd love a relationship but I want a perfect one. Yeah. (laughs) And looking around, yeah, there are definitely some people in, when I say perfect, I don't mean they don't ever have arguments or things. It's about how they grow with each other and support each other and communicate. So of course they have disagreements, but they don't rip each other to shreds with it or degrade each other or something. But um, that's not the reality for the majority of people who end up as single parents and also from looking outside in not the reality for a lot of relationships that do stay together and I think you know my situation is quite specific it things got really quite bad and there was a lot of things going on so I never really had probably from about six months pregnant things significantly took a bit my ex had serious mental health issues and he suffered psychoses and from that point on the, the partnership just wasn't there mm. so I never really experienced what is typical in a relationship but also I experienced what a lot of women experience and so yeah it's not great and then getting out of that and rebuilding yourself is really difficult and even seven years later I'm still doing that probably took takes longer to rebuild yourself from a really negative relationship than you're actually in it and of course not every relationship is going to go that badly but of course you still need to compromise you're still going to have different opinions 
you're still going to both be exhausted and not necessarily able to support each other in the way you want. And I think, but for me, having had a very negative relationship and then having a child without a relationship, the big difference for me is there is literally, there is no connection between my youngest and anyone else apart from me. There's no, I don't look at him and see someone else. I don't look at him and get reminded of someone else. Either in a good way or a bad way. Like, no, I don't see someone that I love or, and I don't see someone that, that, I, that I definitely don't love. <laughs> but it's very hard to explain it, but it's just so emotionally freeing. Like, he, he's mine. Everything about him is mine. Not in an ownership way. That sounds like he's an object. But everything that is put into him comes from me. Of course, the reality is he's got genes from someone else. I don't know, just like my eldest has got genes from my ex. But because I know my ex, that infiltrates my thinking a lot more. And at first it did infiltrate my thinking when my youngest was a baby and I was worried is there anything wrong with him. Maybe there was genetic issues. You would hear these stories of, of issues. Um, but then once he starts talking and being himself you realize he's just him and and there isn't this memory of someone else or this reminder of someone else and it just feels very feels a lot lighter to be honest it feels yeah I think it's just really important to emphasize that it's not always better to have a partner so and no. um, some people are in brilliant situations and they you know have a lovely time and they have loads of support and they're in a really loving relationship but but by no means is that everybody um and so I think it's easy to fantasize that by having a partner everything will be better and actually I try to look at it in a more balanced way to say some things are better some things can be harder and if you're in the wrong relationship it can be much harder and yeah, that's the thing is the wrong relationship is just hell compared to doing things yeah. on your own yeah it's a good it's a good reminder for people who um can't let go of the idea that it would always be better and i love the quote um just because things could have been different doesn't mean they would have been better and i think that's like super useful for us to remember because um we don't know how things would have been if they were different but they don't have yeah. to have been better so and also you don't know like if you've gone down the solo path or single and then solo path you don't know when or if you might meet someone and then you can potentially make a much better stronger relationship than you could have before when you might have been looking you know prioritizing having children with them or and all those pressures so true and you, so can, true. you can kind of look with a with a broader life experience at what this partnership means to you and whether you need them or not or whether you just want them that's ideally what you want is a partner who you want not need yeah so true and so a lot of people that are in the solo mum community are trying to make the decision about whether to try for a second and whether they'll be able to manage what's your experience of parenting one to then going to parent two and what advice would you give people about that oh that's a hard one <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was, in all honesty, it was a lot harder than I expected it to be. Yeah. Um, I think 
I had quite a difficult birth as well and then had birth trauma so that didn't help matters it just felt like especially for the first probably six months there was just so much to do it felt like there was always appointments and this and that and you just could never actually sit down and be with the new baby um it was always running around and but it that sounds very negative I'm like never for one second have ever regretted having a second yeah although it's been harder than I imagined I've like literally not once ever any thought of regret I you know I'm really lucky and not everyone could have a second and I would urge people who can't have a second to not fear that their child is missing out I don't I don't buy that only children have other issues and I think it's certainly people who want to have a second and are aware that there could be issues and therefore make sure their kids do socialize with other children they're definitely not going to have those issues one of the kindest person I know she was she grew up as a single child so it's I wouldn't worry about that but yeah I would say it is it is hard work but it's it's more than worth it just to have another child and all the love that comes with that and also to watch their bond is really incredible but also you spend a lot of your time dealing with squabbles (laughs) you know that is a lot of what they do is squabbling and then they have a short amount of time where they're the cutest sweetest things to each other true yeah and I don't think it sounds negative at all I think it's um really important for people to hear because I think you know you do need to sort of prepare yourself for the fact that it will be super hard and and then make that decision um you know if you are lucky enough to be able to have a second if that's the right decision for you but I think a lot of people I've spoken to said wow it was really hard um but the same as you but you know I wouldn't change it but are you going in with your eyes open that this is going to be um super tough yeah at times uh, you know at times, yeah, exactly. it gets easier as well as they get older uh, maybe or the challenges just change yeah and then you just it just becomes the norm so yeah true I yeah. almost can't really imagine it anymore whereas uh, first I was concerned about having a second me and my son were so close because you know essentially I was his only active parent and yeah you were worried about losing that bond and I think there is a little element of that it's not that you lose the bond but yeah I imagine we'd probably be closer if there was only the one so it's true that there are pros and cons of one and two yeah 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 so uh, the same as everything isn't there exactly yeah yeah and so you then set up a campaign um, for single parent rights. What sort of led you to do that? Where did that come from? So the background really was that I'd been writing about single parenting for years, trying to kind of raise awareness and give myself three feet, sorry, free therapy, I think. <laughs> but, um, and then lockdown hit and obviously single parents were just completely ignored so we heard of these um, support bubbles in other countries they were introduced early on or from the very start but there was nothing here it carried on we kept thinking it will come in it will come in it wasn't coming in the right to have a cleaner come round came in still no bubbles overnight nannies still no bubbles all kind of Totally coinciding with the prime minister getting a baby so <laughs> but um still nothing for single parents and then and then the plus one rule came up which was 
presumably to help people who were isolated, yet still single parents with young children technically couldn't use it because children counted, so you couldn't take children if they were young, you couldn't leave them at home. And so I think by this point, it was really like, this is really taking the mick, like this has gone on for ages. There are these rules that you're changing. No, at the very beginning, there's a sense of, you know, trying to help the country overcome this COVID, not wanting to add to um, transmission rates and all that. But then if you're adding these other rules in, instead of those, you could have had support bubbles. So anyway, then uh, Dominic Cummings, did this trip up to Durham, stating that his wife was ill and essentially he was worried about caring for his um, son on his own. And I think well, I just flipped a bit because it was just like, are you serious? That's that's what we do every day, care for our children on our own, minus another parent. And in lockdown, we've like, it's been hell. Like we, I actually had COVID and the kids had COVID just before lockdown so we all suspected covid but we isolated beforehand and then we were having to i was having to drag them to the shops and I remember the first time i went out to the shops seeing the queue and just crying and coming home without taking them into the shops just so overwhelmed still not 100 percent after covid and things like that and so to to be that forgotten and then have the powers that be just kind of doing what they wanted and interpreting the rules how they wanted was really angering and so it led me to campaign for support bubbles and then but from that what I felt was and what a lot of other single parents and lots of solo mums and single mums were saying in other groups that I'm a member of was that this has to change going forward and that's the thing we were we were not considered because from my point of view and the point of view of many others, we're not in the Equality Act. So no one has to sort of do a check are single parents being disadvantaged by this, like they might have to for someone with a disability or different sexes. And rightly so, they should check whether policies are affecting those groups. But they should also check for single parents. And I, I believe that had that been in the Equality Act, these kind of issues would have been addressed at the start. Um, so it all it all kind of came together in a way because it was almost like I'd been campaigning in a way for single parents but without a banner or without saying it was campaigning it was a bit more subtle and this kind of galvanized a lot of people to come together and form single parent rights which is a campaign group and we've got a team of volunteers Amazing. So just talk to us about the support bubble then. So what actually happened? What did you do? So basically what happened is when Dominic Cummings was doing that interview saying that he was in the, um, the interview he did in the Rose Garden where he was explaining why he'd gone to Durham. I remember I was in the kitchen cooking pasta. The kids were like running in, out, in and out of my legs. We'd been in lockdown for I don't know how many weeks by that point, maybe eight or so. And he was saying all this and I was just getting more and more angry. And because and I write a lot, I was writing stuff down as he was talking. And then with some local solo mum group, we were talking about maybe doing a demonstration because we live not too far away. Then people went against the idea of that in case it had a negative impact on his family. And so then I just, well, a friend actually mentioned, I think a friend mentioned you should write to him. And so then I, I thought, okay, I'll write him a letter you know I like writing so some of the things that I'd been scribbling down 
So I wrote him this letter. It was probably about five or six pages. And um, yeah, I knew where he lived because other people that I knew of had knew, just knew where, where it was. And um, it wasn't far away. So then that evening I got the kids or well, the little one on the back of the bike or my elder one on his bike and we cycled over there and delivered it. Um, Amazing. <laughs> and did and you just put it through the door? Or? Well, there was police on the door. So right. I just gave it to the policeman and he took it. So I had no, I thought, well, will it even get a there? slim chance he'll get it. That's what I thought. I mm. didn't, and I didn't think much beyond that. And it wasn't actually about support bubbles per se or policies. It was about our reality and trying to paint a picture. Mm. That's what I normally try and do with my writing is paint a picture of the reality of single parenting and so I was trying to paint a picture in lockdown and it wasn't a very pleasant picture as I'm sure most single and solo parents know mm. then off the back of that I had emails I'd addressed it on the front to his wife and to him and then I had emails off his wife and then off him and then I had a phone call and those were more around okay you know we we hear what you're saying what kind of policies do you need sort of thing and so then there was discussions around different things support bubbles were the main thing priority shopping for, for online because at that point unless you were priority in the heavily built up areas you couldn't get an online slot so basically I were I didn't have an online slot which I would normally use in normal times mm. I couldn't have one I think for about six eight months it was crazy because they were just all gone all the time yeah, and there were other things around schools. There was there was quite a lot of discussion around lots of different policies. And then uh, underpinning it all was this idea that also we'd be added to the Equality Act because then that would make sure that in future... Um, we were considered. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sorry, we'd be considered. And um, yeah, and so a few days after the phone call, they introduced the bubbles and... Yeah, it was great. I mean, lots of other people were obviously pushing for it as well and lots of other groups. I do, you know, from the conversation I had, I definitely think it helped um, just push it along. I mean, what an amazing achievement. I think what it sort of says to me is... It, we should all use our voices because um, yeah. I've blocked that period of time out of my mind. Honestly, I can't even tell you it was negative. I, I genuinely feel like I just can't really remember it. I just... I don't know, was on autopilot, just mm. getting through it and looking back now, I can't even really remember it. But I never thought, oh, I could write to someone or I could campaign to change things. I just sort of accepted it. And I think what's quite inspiring listening to you talk is why do we accept these things? Yeah. You know, actually, we should yeah, we should use our voices on the things that are clearly not right. And and I really like what you say about painting the picture because I think it's just that often people that make the decision, our reality is so far away from their reality, they just wouldn't even think, which is why what you're saying about being on the Equality Act would really help because there would be a structure to think it through so you wouldn't just get missed because nobody's thought about it if that makes sense so exactly exactly such a such a great achievement and such a good reminder to for us to um you know speak out where something is being missed or isn't fair yeah exactly and it was like homeschooling in action we're doing politics today kids <laughs> yeah exactly brilliant <laughs> brilliant <laughs> 
And so then talking about things not being fair, um, something I've realized is I just didn't know I was oblivious to some of the things that aren't really catered to or fair towards um, single and solo parents. What sort of examples have you come across where things aren't really very fair and they are a bit discriminatory towards um, single parents? Yeah, so a lot, unfortunately. So as the campaign sort of took off, one of the things that was really clear was we needed stronger evidence. Because we, as single parents, we all knew what we experienced. We all knew what other people in local groups and networks experienced. But there hadn't really been, there wasn't any research out there around discrimination towards single parents. Which in in itself, I think, speaks volumes. Like, single parents aren't involved in deciding what the research is around. So it's just missed off. It's all very, very focused on poverty, which is obviously a huge issue. But potentially, or I believe, discrimination is one of the factors leading to that. There's lots of other factors as well, but there's not enough focus on the discrimination. So what I did was I did this survey, which then turned into quite a long report into discrimination of single parents. So I had a lot of data on the kind of examples. So there was lots of stuff. One common thing that people felt they were discriminated against was around fees. So days out, they're just it's slightly starting to change to be honest but generally there's no mention of single parent families small families things like that and you'll pay a lot more per person as a single parent family than a couple family it's not just days out though it's things like antenatal classes nct um, health insurance lots lots of different things so that's one but i think some people probably don't think that has a huge impact but of course it does on quality of life and then there's also a lot of discrimination that happens within education social services housing so this is one that I've experienced recently myself I was a homeowner and I was selling my property and buying another one but my purchase fell through so I had to rent in the meantime and I just kept getting rejected and I knew that you know having done all this work I knew that single parents were rejected from rentals all the time But because I'd got this money from my sale that was essentially a deposit for a new property, but obviously in the meantime, I'll have to use some of it for rent. I thought, well, I'll offer six months up front, all these things, it will be okay. No, I was told all these excuses. Generally, they use the excuse of space, not enough space. But they were two bed places. And I, on one of the examples, I actually said to him, so would a couple and one child be able to rent it? And he said, oh yeah, absolutely, that'd be fine. I was like, well, then it's definitely discrimination. My, my, my child, whichever one you substitute for the partner, is smaller than a, than a grown yeah, man. It's the same so, amount of people and one of them smaller. So how exactly. can you... It was really maddening. Another, another agency just would never let me view. I, I, so then I was like, okay, I'll just go for three beds, more money, but I, you know, I need a place. And they, I put in an offer slightly above asking for one because I thought, well, the only way to be seen as a better bet than a couple is to pay more. They still chose the couple with two kids who were paying less. And the agent told me that. I said, well, did they offer above asking? Oh, no, they, they did asking, but the landlord just said they were a better fit. 
but and I mean you can't with that one you can't prove it's discrimination specifically about me being a single parent but mm. why is someone paying less money but in a couple a better fit than someone paying more money but on their own wow. and this is before they do financial checks or references or anything so if they're concerned they can they can check it all out first can't they just to verify mm. in the end I've been lucky and found an agent that didn't mention anything about me being a single parent but I think yeah it's out there all the time and what also surprised me is the level of questioning you get when you when you say this and the amount of unsolicited I will say advice on how to deal with it because I would be told well you should offer more or you should offer six months in advance oh well you're offering six months in advance that makes you look different you shouldn't do that you should do discrimination is not because of something someone has done it is because of someone's prejudice and stigma you can't advise someone on how to get around discrimination when it came to it i got an agent who didn't care and the landlord didn't care about my status because they weren't discriminatory yeah ones who were discriminatory it didn't matter what i offered or didn't offer or how i offered it or how i didn't i went out of my way to try and make myself a really good prospect but their discrimination overrode that. So yeah, sorry, I went off a bit on one about my my own experience. No, there. no, but I think it's super interesting and it illustrates the point really well that you experience these things um, yeah. as a single parent. And, you, and yeah, it is just shocking though. And I think the other thing which as a campaign group we've identified is a lot of government policies which discriminate as well. And that's that's definitely where the Equality Act would help because the government themselves, when they introduce those policies, would have to double check them. So, for example, if you're a registered carer and you're, so maybe your child has a disability or you're caring for an elderly parent with a disability or who needs full-time care, um, so you're a registered carer, so you don't work aside from that because obviously that's essentially a full-time job. Now, if you're married, or in a relationship and that person is working, your caring responsibilities are taken as work, you don't need to work, and your family, if they qualify, would be entitled to, for example, support with childcare costs through universal credit, the funded hours for three to four year olds at nursery, and things like that. Now, if you are not in a relationship, you can't have a partner in work obviously so then your caring responsibilities are no longer deemed equivalent to work ignoring the fact that actually you're no doubt having to do a lot more because you're the only person yeah. involved in this situation therefore you don't get those benefits you're not entitled to those benefits like funded childcare, and it's things like that which really shocked me because you're talking about people in some very vulnerable situations there you're on your own you're a registered carer you've got either relatives or children with significant registered disabilities and you're not provided as much support as someone who has a partner it just doesn't make any sense no seem to and the one that i think a lot of solo parents face is the free or the funded school uh, nursery hours so you are definitely disadvantaged if you're 
a solo family than if there's two of you. You can earn a whole heap more money as a couple than you can as a solo person and get funded. So the same with the um, child benefit. Right. Yeah, the child benefit cutoff is based on the household income. So in a two-parent family, you could have essentially twice as much. Yeah. And often what happens is in a two-parent family, the person on the higher income who might make break the threshold can then afford to put a ton of money in pension payments so they don't cut that threshold because child benefit adds up if you look at it. And so it's kind of easier to, shall we say, play the system to be within the confines, whereas if you're just a solo person going over the threshold, you're much more likely to need that money in the everyday. Yeah. and not be able to keep yourself under the threshold um so for for anybody who is thinking okay there's loads of discrimination happening here i want to be part of making a change what advice would you have of how you can best get involved and and, and help to change things i mean we'd love for more people to get involved the way our campaign group works is it's a movement you know we're all volunteers we're all single parents or solo parents and um it's about a movement of change so we're not trying to take over from all the amazing campaigns that single parents do every day we're trying to help elevate those so if you're already campaigning on something you know let us know maybe we can help elevate it if you want to get involved we've got suggestions of things you could do around the equality act Ask. So we've got a petition you can sign we've got template letters you can write to your mp we've got motions which you can get your council to pass if you want to volunteer for us then there's always more things we need doing supporting us with press work getting other organizations on board we've got about 20 organizations that back the campaign but we always want you know more more organizations on board to show that there is widespread support so yeah, we'd just say, you know, follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, with single parent rights or my handle, Elemental Mama. I talk about the campaign a lot. And then you can just get involved from there. But also we're yeah, we're very open to supporting people who are already running campaigns. There's loads of single parents who are doing a lot already. Brilliant. I think a lot of people are passionate about this subject and I know a lot of people want to definitely use their voice and make things fairer and make a change. And there's also just general societal views and expectations and changing the way society sees single and solo parents. I know I'm really passionate about rewriting that story and um, trying to change the way people view single parents is also I think super important lots of work to do I think in in lots of different areas there yeah definitely fantastic oh thank you so much for your time it's been so useful to to chat to you really inspiring and i will share all the information that you talked about so that people can find the campaign and if anyone wants to um you know get behind that that they can they can see how they can do that so thank you so much great that would be amazing thanks so much for your time it's really nice to chat to you If you've enjoyed this episode of the Stalk and I podcast, I'd hugely appreciate if you rate, review and subscribe. I look forward to seeing you again next week.